Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 100. It's a psalm of worship. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Notice that the heading of this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving to God. Now, uh, let's say right out of the gate that none of us is as thankful as we ought to be. We recognize that. There are times when we are unthankful to the Lord. Let me ask you this question. How thankful are you when grief and pain do enter your life? Are you thankful to the Lord? You sang it this morning. We sang that refrain. And yet, when the Lord does send grief and pain into our life, we miss it. And we become unthankful. And yet, we say that I once sought the earthly things to bring me peace. But now I know that it's in you, and you are the one that I seek. And there is, I would say, there is an error there in that hymn. And the error is that we once sought our peace in the earthly things. Now alone we seek. This is ain't so. There are things that you seek in this life. There are things because of sin you think are going to bring you contentment and joy in this life. Isn't that what Asaph struggled with in Psalm 73? He struggled with the fact that he saw the prosperity of the wicked and it bothered him. It irritated him that here I am, cleansing my hands, going through the rites, praying, coming to the Lord, reading the scrolls, and I'm miserable. I'm struggling. Why all this pain in my life? Why all the difficulty in my life? And then when the Lord, in His grace and mercy, brought him back to the teaching of Scripture, it gave him a different view of life. And he realized that these things are not going to bring you happiness. And the Lord sets them up as like sheep for the slaughter. He puts them, the unbelieving world, in a slippery place where they think all is well and all is going well and all will be well. And it's not. And Asaph says, man, I was like a beast. I behaved that way. When I realized and I came back to the Word of God and I realized where my comfort is, and it is in the Lord. The comfort is found in Christ. Contentment is found in Christ. Beloved, all the blessings on the heavenly places are in Christ. The peace, the joy, the contentment, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the, the peace, the kindness, the gentleness, the long-suffering, the patience. All of this is in Christ. Now, the difficulty we have is that, as I said, partially sanctified in this life. And sometimes we're like Asaph. And sometimes the Lord comes to us and shakes us out of our lethargy and our stupidity and to stop acting like a beast, like the pagans, chasing after all the things of the world and thinking that life consists in the abundance of things. Where Jesus says that your life does not consist in the abundance of material things. That is not where our life consists. As a matter of fact, the more you have, the more you are enslaved to the things, isn't it? And then the struggle goes all over again because we're never content with things. We always want more. You have a new car until somebody puts a ding in the side of the door at the Walmart and the next thing you know, you're discontent with your car. It's got a ding in it. And it's not long after that before, i got to trade this in because I'm tired of the ding. I need a new and improved. I need better and bigger. 
That's how life in this fallen world is. That's the struggle that we go through. So, reorienting us, bringing us back to how we are to live as Christians. And recognize this, beloved. This is a struggle. Because as I said, the ethical standard is here in the morality. The living, the life of the ordinary Christian is here. We are nowhere near where we ought to be. And that's the struggle in this life with the already and the not yet, the contemplating, the hoping, the looking, the anticipating of the coming of the kingdom, and yet still living in this world and struggling with sin, struggling with myself, you struggling with yourself. Now, I know we don't think that that's the problem, but that is the problem. The problem is me. The problem is you. The problem with my relationship with you is me. You thought I was going the other direction. But that's the problem that we have, isn't it? Because we think the relationships would be so much better if you would change. If you would only do this. But I realize that in that is a problem with me. That I'm demanding something of you and that my happiness then is conditioned upon you doing something. That's contrary to what the scriptures teach. So we need to be reoriented. To be recalibrated. When you have problems with a vehicle, you take it into a mechanic and he recalibrates Things. He puts things in their right place. This may be off, that may be off. I need to tweak this and turn this and get things back. You know, you've had problems with your tires, and all of a sudden it feels like this something's going on, and you're taking it in and you need a tire balance. And as you get it balanced, it's recalibrated. This is what we need as Christians. We need to come back to the Word. This is what the Word does. It recalibrates my thinking. That you're running after the earthly things thinking that's going to bring me pleasure and then you realize that that's what the pagans do. And I am not a pagan. I am not an unbeliever. I am one that is blood bought by Christ and therefore I am to seek first His kingdom and that is where true joy is found is seeking after the Lord. And so, in this psalm, it recalibrates us to be a thankful people. Now, you'll notice this psalm, it doesn't say who wrote the psalm. Um, But I did some research through the psalms, and notice it says, make a joyful shout. In looking at that, that's used 17 times just in the psalms. That, That phrase, make a joyful shout to the Lord. And it is used seven times by David. It's used four times by the sons of Korah. It's used once then by Asaph. So you have the remaining that there is nobody attributed to that particular psalm. But that doesn't matter, right? Because we know that no matter who who the human writer was, we know that God is the ultimate author of all scripture. So it is God's word. Anyway, we come to four, actually this this psalm itself is only five verses. Uh, It brings seven imperatives to us. 
uh, seven being the number of perfection in Scripture, so a, a complete roundness in our lives through the particular things that we're called to as the people of God. Notice in the first three verses, we have four of those imperatives. Make, serve, come, and know are the commands that the Lord gives the people. This is what the Lord commands of us as His people. To, to make, to serve, to come, and to know. My plan is to, this morning, just look at the first three verses, and this evening to look at verses 4 and 5. Let's look at our text this morning. Verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Now, what does that mean to make a joyful shout? Let's look at what the Psalms teach about making a joyful shout to the Lord. So, follow with me. Turn to Psalm 5. Psalm 5 and verse 11. And we'll get an idea through um, a, a multiple expressions in what follows to see what the psalm writer is speaking about when he says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Psalm 5 verse 11. <clears throat> but let all those rejoice in you, put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. Look at this. This is the Lord being the provider, being the one who fights for his people and defending them. And here is the psalm writer, David, saying, Shout for joy to the Lord who is your defender. He is your shield. He is the one who goes before you into battle. That's one of the reasons why we shout for joy unto the Lord. All right, Psalm 47. They only have about five of these. Psalm 47 and verse 1. And it's interesting that most of these, the remaining, are right at the first verse. He comes right out of the gate telling us to do this. This is the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to the God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Why do we shout unto the Lord? Because our God is awesome. Our God is wondrous. He is the King over all the earth. This is described of Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, we come before Him as a people shouting in that way unto Him knowing that He is our awesome God. Psalm 81. Psalm 81, and again, verse 1. The Psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp and the lute. All right? And so here it is coming with instruments and singing praise to our awesome God who is our defender and our shield who fights the battles for us. So whether you gather together and it is with an instrument that you sing music, sing songs unto Him, uh, do it as the God who is awesome and valiant in battle. And last one, Psalm 95 and verse 1. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now, why is it here that the psalmist, and you notice that it doesn't say who wrote Psalm 95, 
But why is he saying to shout to the Lord? Because he is our salvation. He is our deliverer. He is the one who rescues us. He is the one who does so temporally. He is the one who does so ultimately spiritually. He rescues us from himself. It is God saving his people from his wrath that comes upon all those that trust not in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, back to Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout. So what he's saying there then, beloved, is to have these things in mind when you gather together before the Lord. It is a call in here for the church corporately to gather and to shout unto the Lord. It's that shout of victory. It's that shout of awe. It's not the shouting of the world. It's not two people angry with one another shouting at each other. It's not a cacophony of confusion. It is shouting and lifting up our voices in prayer and praise to Him. Singing unto Him in this way because our God is awesome. Our God is the God of our salvation. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us. And the psalmist, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't stop at just the people of God. He wants all the lands to worship the Lord. Why? Because He is the one who's created us. God has created and sustains, He sustains and upholds all things in heaven and on earth. You breathe, beloved, because the Lord gives you breath. It is His air that you're breathing. The Lord gives us life. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Some of you kids in school, you have science classes and you look at all the different things that exist in this world. And this is the beauty of the Lord that you are looking at. God is the one who creates the atoms. God is the one who creates the protons and the neutrons. He is the one who sustains all of them. God is the one who gives life and breath and health to all things. Life and death are in the hands of the Lord. He created the rainbow. It is the Lord who created all the creepy crawlies that we investigate and look into are in wonder of God's creation. He created the hummingbird. He created all the fish of the sea. If you've ever gotten down and you've seen at an aquarium or even in the ocean snorkeling and you've seen some of the wonder that God has created and the beauty that is displayed just simply in the fish of the ocean, it is a wonder what our God has done. Isn't it a wonder how the fish are different? It's a wonder. I have a bird feeder and I watch these birds and it's, it's a wonder how the birds can get along, as it were, with one another to a certain degree. There are some more nasty, it seems, than others, but they're all birds. They're all from that species of birds. But if the cat comes around, that bird is gone. And yet in the same token, the birds have inwardly, they, they have instincts that God has given. So isn't it amazing that a bird of prey will be recognized in some way by other birds? They're not birds of prey and they'll scatter and living in town, you see in the winter months, you'll often find uh, hawks that are flying up and down the alleys. And you'll know when they're around because there won't be all the other birds at the bird feeder. God has created all these things. And you are just simply investigating and looking into what God has created. And it's a wonder. And you ought to give Him praise. 
You ought to thank God for the wonder and the beauty of the colors of this world. Isn't it amazing? What is it like if you're colorblind? We know you when you show up for worship on Sunday. Colorblind, I don't, I don't know what it would be like not to see colors. God has created us to see the, the fantastic things of this world. But because of sin in this fallen world, some are born with colorblind. Not because they have particularly sinned. It's a result of sin in this world. Some people are born and they're deaf. Now what a wonder it is to be able to hear the sounds that are in this world that God has created. Uh, when, when Anne gets on the piano and she begins with the music and up and down the scale in upper and lower and all the different instruments that you can hear that are coming out of that little box right there is a wonder. And it's a wonder that we can hear all of these things. And God has done this. All of the earth, all of the world, all people in this world experience these things. And yet so many don't give thanks to the Lord. They don't shout before the Lord. They don't see God as awesome and wondrous in His person and in all of His works. This is our calling. This is what the redeemed of the Lord do. You know, and sadly, beloved, we don't do it as we ought. There are times we're unthankful. Saw the tornado in Palm Beach uh, yesterday. And... That's, that's rare. Tornadoes in Florida. But to see the devastation from that, that. That's a created power. In a tornado. And the devastation uh, that is brought by that. We ought to say and we ought to recognize. That our God is awesome. This is a result and a consequence of a fallen world of rebellion against God. And they don't go willy nilly. God is the governor of all things in this world. There is no such thing in scripture as theistic evolutionism. God did not spin things into motion and then step back and let them go. He is governing and controlling all things from the least to the greatest of them. And it's the fool who said he's not. It's the fool that uh, Jeremiah speaks about in Lamentation. Who is he who says that God has not ordained it and then it comes to pass? Jeremiah is saying, let the fool stand up and give an account. It's an idiot to say that. That something could happen in this world apart from God ordaining it to happen. He is the one who gives life and breath to all things. He is the one who sustains all things. So to enjoy all the wonders and the awesome things that God has given in this world, we often like to take different trips, don't we? From west coast to east coast. And they are so vastly different strangely enough, the same strange people that are on the West Coast are on the East Coast. That's a weird thing. I don't know why they gather together on those coasts, but they do. Seems like the rationality, the the sense of reason, the voice of reason is more in the Midwest. On the coast, you find people that are just out to lunch. They don't know what they're talking about. Yet, speaking about the creation and what God has given in this world, it's wondrous. Once I had Google Earth. I don't even know if that's available anymore. But I, I got on there and I started in California and zipped across the United States um, at, with that Google Earth, looking at all the terrain and the colors. And when you got to Utah, it was fantastic. It was almost exploded on you with colors. It looked like pastel. Somebody was, you know, Bob Ross painting there. It was amazing. It was fascinating. God has done all of this. So we ought to shout. 
We ought to come with that voice of a valiant protector, defender, our God of our salvation, and give Him that praise. You see, beloved, we need to be recalibrated, don't we? We lose sight of that fact. We lose sight of the awesomeness of our God because we drift from the Word. Where are you now with respect to your reading and cultivating God's Word as you were when you first were redeemed by the Lord? Are you more active, more zealous, more desirous, or are you less? Would you say you are like the church in Laodicea that claimed to be a church, claimed to be the people of God, but Jesus says, you are neither hot nor cold. You're in between. You're lukewarm. If you were cold, I could work with that because I could bring heat to you. I love the church that is hot and is zealous for the things of God. But the lukewarm church, those are the ones I spew out of my mouth. Where are you, beloved, with regards to your worship of the Lord? You're singing to the Lord. You're falling in awe of the things, not only of He is what God has created, but who He is. And notice that you can't fall in awe to the God who, uh, in His character, apart from His Word. It is through His Word that He reveals His character to us. And as He reveals His character to us, we stand in awe of Him. We were talking this morning in Sunday school. David says in Psalm 147 that the word that is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether even before I speak it. And I had asked the question in the Sunday school, how long do you think God has known that word on David's lips? God is eternal. Acts 15, known to God from eternity are all of his works. That means from all eternity, the words that every individual speaks in this world are known altogether by the Lord for all eternity, and He knows it infinitely as the Creator, and that is awesome. And that makes you break out in a doxology. That's the God that we worship. He knows everything that is to be known about me, and what is wondrous is that He loves me just the same. Make a joyful shout. It's a joyful shout. It's a shout of praise to have joy when you bring your voice before the Lord. That is an instrument that God has given to us as His people. And He has put a new song in our heart, praise to our God. So beloved, please, don't tell me you can't sing. Every one of us have sung at some time or another in our lives. Some are better than others, no doubt. But we have all been given the instrument to bring joy to the Lord. You know, get started now. Because this is our life throughout all eternity. Is singing praise to our God. So He calls for all the lands, right? And it's not an option. God commands this. You, beloved, come before our awesome God. Our protector, our defender. The one who is our salvation. And you sing with all your might to Him. And you give Him praise. That means your mind must be stayed upon Him, doesn't it? Your mind must be thinking about Him. 
in thinking about not only what, uh, who He is, but what He has done as well. It's a combination. It's not one or the other. You get lopsided if you think only about what God has done. We are not only to think about what God has done, but think about His attributes, His character. This would inspire, revive the singing of the people of God. And so we make that joyful sound, and we are called also to serve the Lord. Now notice, there is private we can sing, and many of you do sing privately. But this is a call for corporately to shout. So this is one way that we demonstrate thanksgiving to the Lord, as we sing to Him. You ever think about that when you're singing the hymns to the Lord? You're not singing to your neighbor. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about, the older you get, but the more difficulties that you go through in life, the less and less that you really care what people think. If you care what people think about how you sing, you will not sing. And then I want to ask the question, who are you singing to? Who are you concerned with? Well, I don't want people to talk about me about how I sing. Well, that's their problem, isn't it? That's their problem. Don't be paralyzed by what everybody else thinks and says. You know, I don't know anybody in here who's going to be called by American Idol or The Voice to show up for audition. Well, we don't sing for that. We sing to Him. I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for Him. That's liberating. It is liberating when you get past caring what everybody thinks about you. You know, then you can walk and you don't care if you stumble, if you've got a limp, if somebody laughs at the way you walk. Because you just don't care. I mean, that's, that, that's your problem. And we all do it, don't we? So coming and making that joyful shout is a, is a demonstration of thanksgiving. Also, notice he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serving the Lord. You know, but you cannot, listen to me, you cannot serve the Lord apart from serving His people. A thankful life is a life of service. A thankful life is involved in the life of the people of God. It's serving the people of God. It's works of kindness. Jesus reveals this in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to me. When I was in prison, when I was lonely, you came and you visited me. And the believers said, Lord, when did we do this? And Jesus said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now I go back to this, this movie quote. Because it just so hits right at our hearts. It is the movie, The Christmas Carol, Scrooge. I don't even know if it's called The Christmas Carol. But you know what I'm talking about when I say Scrooge. And his business partner speaks to him, Bob Marley, and he says, you know, our business was to be about mankind. And Scrooge was, hey, you know, they've got all these government things. Let them go to them. And Marley says, mankind was our business. What is he saying? 
It is my business and responsibility to care for those who have need. To watch out for the poor. To clothe those that are naked. To feed the hungry. To put shoes on their feet, as the song goes. And yet we think we're indifferent. Beloved, we are to be the salt of the earth in Jesus Christ. And therefore, let our light shine among men. You know, it's not, as Martin Luther says, that I show that I'm a good Christian because I tack little crosses on my my shoes that I make. That's not how you show. It's being the best cobbler, the shoemaker that you can be. That's the service right there. We are to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with the gifts that He has given to you. Where has He gifted you? What is the vocation that He has given to you? What are the talents that God has given to you? You know, often we, we're in this culture, especially in the United States. Let me just speak to the United States. We are so discontent with labor. Why is that? Because you've got to match up the talents that God has given you with that particular job. And some people are in jobs that they hate. Because it doesn't accord with the talents that God has given to them. So you've got to know your vocation. You've got to know where you're to serve the Lord. Even in the church. You've got to know your place in the church. There is unity, but there is absolutely diversity in the life of the church. Some are ears, some are eyes, some are nose, some are mouths. And an ear can't be a nose, and a nose can't be a mouth. Be, beloved, whom God has gifted you and called you to be. Don't try to parrot somebody else. Don't try to be like somebody else. We are called to look unto Jesus, to be conformed unto Him in using the gifts that He has given to us. Serve the Lord with gladness. This is the difficulty, isn't it? Work, labor. It's a struggle. It's a difficulty. Now, let me say this. <clears throat> and I've seen this numerous times. Are people working in the care center environment? And I can tell the difference between those that are there for a paycheck and those that have the compassion to care for other human beings. You've got people that are in jobs, invocations today. They're not gifted. You've seen it in stores. You've seen it, you, you, you know, with all the problems we've had with labor in the United States. You've seen it when you've gone to a restaurant. You, know, you want to tell that person, you know, waitressing, that's not your thing. Nothing against you. But you just don't have the talents. You don't have what it takes to be a waitress. And that's in every field. Could be in ministry. Could be a pastor. So we go on that way. And we're to serve the Lord. And there's to be a gladness about it. A joy in serving God. Now, do I love my calling? Yes. Do I struggle? Yes. I don't struggle with the work. I struggle in the work. Those are the times that I struggle with, and that's what we struggle with when we're called of the Lord in these particular vocations. So we serve the Lord. There is a serving of one another, of giving of our gifts to one another. God gifts us so that you can minister to one another. You in this way and you in that way. 
ministering, edifying, building one another up with the gifts that God has given. You serve the Lord and you're thankful in that way. We come before His presence with singing. We come with songs, with hymns, with spiritual songs. We come to lift up our voices to Him, to exalt Him, to honor Him. We don't want the touchy-feely, man-centered, it's all about me type of songs. We want songs that honor and glorify the Lord. I want to avoid, I want to steer clear of the things that exalt me, make me feel good. It's not about me feeling good. It's about me honoring the Lord and singing to His glory. Because, beloved, that is when I feel good. Not when I sing to myself or about myself. It is when I exalt in my God. Because that's what I was created for. That's what I was recreated for. People are running around trying to find their identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your contentment is in Jesus Christ. Your joy is in Him. Oh, how happy is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. And he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law He meditates day and night. This man is like a fruitful tree that brings forth its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. The ungodly are not so. So you see, this is what we have been called to, to sing unto the Lord. And he says, notice it's not an option, come. Come with a command to sing. Well, I don't sing well. Not an excuse. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Know that the Lord, He is God. How are you going to know Him apart from His Word? How are you going to know Him in the sense that you can say and declare and rejoice that God is my salvation? God is my Redeemer, my Rescuer, my Provider, my Shepherd. He is the one in whom I reside, His hand. How are you going to do that, beloved, without knowing Him? Notice the relational sense. Adam knew his wife and she conceived. This is not knowing about. This is an intimate knowledge. We are to have an intimate knowledge of our Lord. Um, The Lord, Yahweh, the Sovereign One, the Existing One, the One who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty One. And then he uses, He is God. He is Elohim, plural. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, We believe, as the Scriptures teach, that God is Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God. Three in person, one in essence. He is the Lord. He is the existing one, the awesome one, the say God. And yet He is the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Not three, but one. Again, mysterious to us. Not a contradiction though. Know Him. People come to your house and they want to tell you about God and say, well, Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. Well, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but it's a word that we use to ferret out those that are heretics. Because if you don't believe that God is triune, then you're under the wrath and curse of God. And so it is. They don't know the Lord. We are called to know the Lord. And we are to call to know the Lord in an intimate way more and more. Beloved, this is a plea, isn't it? It's a direct imperative to be in the Word. You can't know Him apart from His Word. I watched a movie one time about a missionary. And there was a marriage that took place within this, this movie. And 
it was set back in the early 1900s, and the lady was going to marry a guy that she had never met in person. And her brother was a pastor and was livid about that and said, you can't marry him because you don't know him. And she says, yes, I do. I know him through his letters. There was the expression that went back and forth in their writings, expressing things from the heart. We know God in a, in a salvific sense, in a salvific sense through the word. We know him as our redeemer through the word, beloved. And we are called to know him more and more in a greater way. That's where your joy is found. And we, it's an amazing thing how we think if I grab more things, I'll be happy. And I become more sad when I grab more things. And it's right before me to know him is to be happy, is to be joyful, is to be blessed. So here's the command. Know the Lord that he is God. Who is he? He is the one who has made us. You kids. God made you. God formed you in the womb. God knit your bones, the sinew, the joints. He knit them all together. He has known you from all eternity. He has planned and prepared for you to be born at a particular day and time. This is all of God's plan. You are not a mistake. There are no mistakes in that sense of a birth. God is the one who has ordained all these things and you are to know him. You are to shout for joy in knowing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. One of the kids in my catechism class was said on Wednesday that his, his uh, I don't know, biology or science teacher asked a question which they then posed to me and said, Pastor, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, duh. God created the chicken. Then they had eggs. And he said his science teacher said that the egg came first. That's what your kids are being taught. That millions and millions and millions of years and there's the egg. And... All right, I'll give it to them. There was nothing there to warm the egg, but obviously that egg must have exploded, maybe without a rooster, and it had chicks. And now we got all these chickens. We are to know that God has created all things. And when God created the universe... When God created mankind, he created man mature. So it looked like he had aging. He was not old, but he was created mature so that he could be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth. The Lord did the same thing to the fish of the seas, to the fowl of the air, and to all the beasts of the field. God created them mature so that they could be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth. And that is simply a man who knows not God, who says the egg came first after millions and millions of years. That is an educated idiot. That's what that is. God made us. And that's what total depravity does. That's what the vicious nature of man does. It denies that God made us. 
But this is what the psalmist says. You're going to sing and rejoice and you are going to be content. You're going to have joy in your soul when you sing to the Lord. Shout with the joy of your salvation knowing that He created you. Because everything else is false. Every other worldview is false. It's untenable. Because it is not true. And there is no joy. There is no peace. There is no contentment. There is no happiness in the false views of the world. And so He has made us not we ourselves. He has redeemed us as well. Not we ourselves. And notice who we are. We are the people. His people. This is what we say in the catechism. I'm not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This takes us right to Jesus. This takes us to our psalm reading. Psalm 23. John 10. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I redeem my sheep. I feed my sheep. I nourish my sheep. I defend my sheep. I care for my sheep. This is what Christ has done for his people. Because he is the good shepherd. Beloved, when we gather, we come to shout for joy to the Lord. We come. We are commanded to come. Don't forsake the gathering of the people of God. Which is the manner of some. Some of you in here are having a bad habit of missing worship. Of missing gathering together on the Lord's Day. Now I'm not talking about if you're working at a hospital, works of mercy, works of necessity. I'm talking about you just simply blowing off worship and not showing up on the Lord's Day. That's a bad habit to get into. And it begins to be a pattern of your life. And then it is a hard thing and a struggle to become faithful every Lord's Day. Don't fall into that pattern when we're called to come before the Lord. We are called to make that joyful noise. We are come to serve Him in serving one another. We are called to know Him, beloved. Get in the Word. Know Him in a greater way. That you will know that He created you. He sustains you. He provides for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you always. Even through the dark night of the soul. And the dark providence that He sends upon you. He will always be with you. Know that through the word. Know Him through the word. And you will have great delight. And you know it's reciprocal isn't it? It just comes right back around. That you will come. And you will come with a joyful shout. To the God of your salvation. This is what the psalmist is calling us to. This is what God is calling us to. This is a life of contentment right here. Amen. Shall we pray?